Welcome to the CF podcast series, How I Fucked Up, where we bring in outside marketing leaders to tell stories of failure, lessons learned. We have some fun. Everyone can learn from everyone else's mistakes. I think it's all about how you learn and grow. And, you know, everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different time where they have failed spectacularly or maybe not as spectacularly. But I think that it's one of those things. There's just no substitute for the wisdom that you gain after being in this business a long time. So we like to share these stories with the advertising and larger world. So I'm happy to introduce Kevin Lynch, who I have known off and on for my entire career. Kevin gave me my first freelance job, which was a day of writing headlines for DePaul University at his illustrious agency called Hadrian's Wall, which at the time was the boutique pinnacle of advertising in Chicago. And I don't know, probably beyond that, but I only knew Chicago because that's where I was going to portfolio school. But I was very lucky to get to go in. And I think I made, I think he gave me a hundred dollars to write a bunch of headlines. And at the time it was like, this is, this is a win. I got something for my portfolio. And that's, that's where I first met Kevin. And then not too long ago, my wife and I went on a trip to Scandinavia. And I happened to think the night before when I was in Copenhagen, I think I know somebody that is close to Malmo. And I reached out to Kevin and Kevin said, hey, let's get a beer. And we had like a 45 minute window before I had to catch a train and made it happen. And he met my wife too. And I met his dog. So we go deep now after all this. <laughs> so, and then I, and then I invited him to be on this. So yeah, I'm proud to introduce my friend, Kevin Lynch who is now uh, the founding partner of The Wrong Agency, which obviously we'll talk about. But Kevin, thank you. Thank you for joining me this morning and this evening in uh, in Malmo, Sweden. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, I, I think your visit here to Malmo probably doubled our time that we've, we've spent together in our lives. So that was, uh, that was really wonderful. So, <laughs> I, I have to admit, I, so I forgot, like I, I remembered, I remembered uh, we we did some work together at Hadrian's Wall, and I, you know, kind of lost in history was sort of how long it was. So when you were like, "Hey, I'm going to be in Malmo," I'm like, "Hey, I, you know what? If you're going to make the effort to come to Malmo, like I'm totally going to go grab a beer with you." And uh, we're sitting there toasting. I'm like, "Yeah, so like, remind me how long were you at Hadrian's Wall?" You're like, "One day." <laughs> like, ah, I, I, I mean, I still would have had beer with you. Don't don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, I'd forgotten that part. But I think it is interesting because I wasn't I wasn't consciously going to ask you because I was like that this is just a little too weird. So like, do you have recommendations? And then you were like, oh, we can grab a beer. I'm like, cool. But you know, it was really, yeah, it was that short. And yet, I remember when I told everyone when I started my first more than one day job, which was at Kramer Crassel, and getting to know people in the Chicago world, like your name rang out. Like that day made like a big difference, believe it or not. So it was just because there's like, there was some, <laughs> I had positive connotation coming in even when I, cause I freelanced first at Kramer Kressel for two years. Like they just brought me in one day and they kept me. And then that led to my whole career. So, but anyway, having that, that one day and all those headlines um, really helped me out, whether you know it or not, <laughs> but now you do. Anyway. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear about just, your career path, how you started, we talked a little bit about Hadrian's Wall, but you've done a lot of amazing things uh, internationally. So yeah, just can we hear a little bit about it, how you got into the business, your background and where you've been? Yeah, for sure. I I, uh, I went, uh, so I, I'm not one of those people who thought advertising would be a great career when I was, you know, eight years old or what have you. 
Um, it was sort of a discovery process through through college. I started at a small uh, liberal arts college in San Francisco and then finished up uh, over at Michigan State. And during that time, I started in the marketing, in, in the business school uh, as a marketing major. And I got kicked out of that. And so I went to psychology and got kicked out of that and went to journalism. As part of the journalism degree, you had to uh, take an advertising course. And uh, it was like, literally, it was called Ad Advertising 101. And I took the one course and it was sort of like, God, what a perfect what a perfect sort of a curriculum um, to, to bring everything together. You had sort of the business smarts of marketing. You had the the sort of persuasion and understanding human nature from psychology, journalism. You had sort of a craftsmanship and kind of knew how to tell a story and advertising kind of brought it together. So to me, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was just sort of, it was, <laughs> it was a failed academic uh, career, but, but I think those were all, all kind of areas of passion and, Advertising does a really nice job of bringing that together. So uh, that's how I ended up as an ad major. And so I ended like I started with just a horrible portfolio, and and I knew it was horrible. So, so that's the only credit I'll give myself. But but the the uh, I, I made the rounds of agencies in Detroit because you know that was the nearest city, and uh, and you know got just horrible responses um, and throughout like literally just throughout my portfolio and started over and did another one over the next two months and then went back out and and that too got sort of shot down um, by a lot of the same people a bunch of new people and i threw that one out and came out with with my third one and so you know in that sort of span of four or five six months or so i'd basically done three portfolios and so the first job i got was the first job that I took was uh, working on Jeep, which was the best agency and the best account in, in all of Detroit. And I didn't get it because my portfolio was great. I got it because the people there saw that I threw out my first one and took feedback. And, and the second one was better, but still lousy. And the third one, you know, maybe you'll get it someday. Like it was, it was literally a, a D plus C minus book, but the persistence was there. And I think that is such a key attribute. Um, I built a relationship with the with the people as well, so I continue to believe that if they just would have seen my first, seen that portfolio first, I don't think I would have gotten hired. But it was the trail and the the sort of failure and you know shaking that stuff off that I think was was really really key. So I so I worked on Jeep for uh, about about two years, and so I moved to Chicago to DDB uh, Chicago, which at the time the halls were just filled with these wonderful talented people. Uh, much of what I learned, you know, was applied to DDP clients necessarily, but it at least, you know, um, yeah, it, it, it started to really kind of help me form evaluation of how to uh, evaluate ideas, how to think think of better ideas and be hard on yourself and all that good type stuff. I went from there to Campbell Methune Esty uh, in Chicago, which was most famous for the Corona account. So sticking to things I know, you know, cars and beer, basically. And uh, so I worked there for uh, a couple of years and then jumped over to McConaughey, Stein, Schmidt, Brown, which at the time was was really the, the best uh, creative shop in Chicago. And it was one of those times where you kind of go, OK, well, you've worked in the best shop in town. Like now, where do you where do you go from there? And so to me, the answer was, you know, you start to go meander the world. So I jumped up to 
uh, Roche Macaulay up in Toronto, which at the time was one of the best international agencies. It had uh, it was a forty person agency, but its roster was IKEA, Reebok, Sony, Coca Cola, Mercedes Benz, like just this amazing roster of of clients. I ended up bouncing back to Chicago after after a year. So I went to what was kind of the second best place in Chicago, a place called Arian Low and Travis. So uh, one of the strategy uh, leads in Toronto came down and, and followed me down to Chicago. And so we we partnered really well for, with Ed Arian Low and Travis, started turning that place into ideally one of the one of the um, best places in Chicago. And then the owner of that place decided they really he just wanted to be a strategic consultancy more than an advertising agency, mm. which came as as news to most of us who had gathered to do advertising. So, uh, yeah, I, I uh, my strategy lead looked at me and he goes, you know, let's go for a beer. We had, you know, after we were told that we're, we're fired, we went for the beer and before the beer arrived, he looks at me, he goes, you know, we're starting an agency. Right? I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. I guess we're starting an agency. Literally we'd never talked about it, but to him it was obvious. And to me, it was like, Oh, okay. That sounds fun. So we started Hadrian's wall along with uh, Thomas Ritchie, who's over at uh, Tom, Dick and Harry uh, still in Chicago. And uh, yeah, the three of us started uh, Hadrian's Wall, and we kept that independent for six years, and then sold that to uh, NDC, which was one of the holding companies at the time. They had a, a great roster of agencies: Chrisman Porter and Christian Baum and Bond, and Bruce Mao Design, and, and what have you. So then we we were rebranded as the Chicago agency of Zig, which was a really cool Toronto agency at the time. The reason why I, I was interested in selling as, a, as an agency partner was that we had a wonderful five, six years, but I kind of felt like the next five or six were going to be the same. And I really personally am totally addicted to change. And so uh, so I headed out after after two years and, and jumped on over to BBDO, which was just starting its digital practice uh, called Proximity. And partnered with a couple of terrific folks there. When I took that job, I said I, my goal was to make my job obsolete within two years, um, because it kind of felt like at the time, you know, the whole agency should be digital. It shouldn't be a department or a, a separate offering. It made sense at the time, but uh, you know, again, it seemed like a short-term solution. And during that time, I ended up uh, having roles on both BBDO and proximity side, and worked on the SC Johnson pitch globally, which we ended up winning, which ended up uh, putting me on a plane for the next year, basically, um, between uh, Paris, Shanghai, Buenos Aires. And yeah, it was a it was a travel filled year. And I raised my hand to BBDO and said, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue my journey that we started in Toronto, um, you know, somewhere around the world. And uh, they said, Well, why don't you let's stay within the network and why don't you head on over to Shanghai. So I joined BBDO Shanghai and was there for a year before they said, hey, why don't you head on down to Hong Kong and Guangzhou? So I ended up uh, leading BBDO South China for about three years. And at that point realized that uh, I unintentionally had gotten myself promoted out of doing creative and out of being a creative director and into some sort of weird politician thing, which I, I just don't have a, as much heart for. And so I left the agency and jumped on over to the client side, and the uh, uh, I became the director of marketing at Shanghai American School, which is China's oldest and largest international school. 
And so I worked there for four, about four and a half years. During that time, I uh, started a conversation with Odley originally to uh, take on a job in Shanghai as a creative director. And ultimately, it, it made more sense for a, a Mandarin speaker to kind of take that role. So we stayed in touch. And uh, when something opened up here in, in Europe, uh, they said, get your butt on over here. And now I've started the wrong agency. Um, I'm positive I didn't leave anything out. But any questions at this point? <laughs> I, I that want... was really long. I'm so no, sorry. It's okay, you've had an illustrious <laughs> career. It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to. Yeah, yeah. I, no, a couple of things. Even just talking about the whole persistence thing of going back, revising your book, revising your book. I just met with a group of students from Western Washington University, which is where I went to college, and I was. It was very. They, most of them don't know what the hell they want to do, which is understandable. But they're all marketing majors, and I said, no matter what, whether you, we have a very specific field of creative, where it's like it's not your resume, it's your book of work, and that kind of thing. But it's like whatever it is, when you're building your network and you are checking in, it's usually a timing thing where the job's not there at that time, but it may be later. And so for me, it was the same sort of thing where it's like I would I started to build these relationships around Chicago with mostly old teachers at Chicago Portfolio School and be like, hey. I've got some new work. I'd love for you to check it out. And that gave me an excuse to get back in front of them and not just a, Hey, how's it going? I gave them a reason totally. to check out some more of my old, uh, you know, bad ads, whatever, but maybe slightly better. And I think yeah. that's a lesson that you're much more likely to take a chance on somebody for hundred dollars a day or a day rate or a short-term project or, or something. If they've have already shown that they can take feedback and, not go away completely and actually work to get better. And that was the thing where just like you, when I was at Kramer Crossfield, I was surrounded by a ton of, of super talented people that went on to other places and did amazing stuff. They were doing amazing stuff at Kramer Crossfield at the time, but we didn't have the client roster that they had once they got Porsche a little bit later. So that really rang true to me. And I think can ring true to everyone, even, even today where it's, it's just like, sometimes it's about, I mean, number one, if you're going to be a creative you're going to have to develop a really thick skin really fast. And it's those who can deal with that and, and go back and be like, well, there's more ideas. There's more, there's more concepts. I'm going to come back and make it better. So it was, it was heartening to know that even your journey, which is cir circuitous as everyone's, you know, that still, when you started, that's, uh, that's what helped you. And that's what got you somewhere. Yeah, for sure. That, yeah. One, what am I, one of the uh, early earliest creative directors who looked at my work, she was a she was a CD at an agency here in, or in over in Chicago. And after my second book, I think she said, "Sometimes in this business, it's persistence about brilliance," which was her way of saying your book still sucks, but good for you for being back. Yeah, um, yeah, and and I, I love your your uh, approach in terms of you know, checking in with people. I think it's just, I, I see so many creatives, you know, go, Hey, I'm still here. It's like, I, I, when I was keeping in touch with Oatly, it's, it was a year and a half long period. And I kind of felt like every time I'm going to reach out to you, I'm not going to reach out often. And every time I'm going to reach out, I'm going to give you one more reason to hire me, you know? And I think if you have that mentality, whether it's work, whether you have, like, I, I wrote them a funny story about, hopping the last flight back to Shanghai before the borders closed for COVID. Like it could be anything, but it was, yeah, again, it just, it sort of added to that persona and just gave them, you know, one more reason to buy. And I think if you, uh, you know, it, we are in such a unique position as creators 
So just continue to create stuff, you know, if you're a, if you're an accountant, it's like, you, you know, you don't really have that opportunity or, you know, plumber or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think just taking advantage of that is wonderful advice. Yeah. And I think, uh, today as the landscape's changed, it's even more so where you can, you can make stuff and just keep making stuff and put it out in some way. And it was always for me, I was like, well, I'm a writer, I, I'm just a word guy, whatever, but you know, there's, there's no, I don't think there's any excuse. If you are a maker and that's what you love to do, you'll find a way to, to do it. And that's, I think it's interesting too. You talk about even at your level going to, to Oatly with that thoughtful piece of communication versus just like, Hey, just checking in, wanted to see what's up, but no, but going that extra mile and adding something to it, that's an extra ingredient about you. Or again, I think that that no matter where you're at in your career, that goes a long way because then the person on the other end is just incrementally more invested in you in some way. And maybe it's a positive connection and they, they will think of you when the timing is right, because it is, there's so much that has to come together to get a job on the creative side for sure. We'll be right back. Well, the holidays are over, so you know what that means. It's time for a January checkup. I'm throwing out a plug for the doctor's office, except this checkup's a good one, because instead of reflex checks and tongue depressors, it involves classic cocktails and charcuterie. It's a super cozy bar just off Broadway on Olive Way on Capitol Hill. It's also one of those places where you can just tell the bartender what you're into, and they'll come up with something mind-blowing based on what you tell them. Love that. It's an excellent hang with friends or colleagues, date night, even go solo. Plus, there's even a Japanese toilet. The doctor's office on Olive Way, not to be missed. And now, back to fucking up. I wanted to ask about at what point, because obviously, you, you know, you worked in Canada for a little bit, but I wouldn't call that the same thing as, as working in, in Shanghai. So what point were you like, I want to do this internationally? Was that a pretty conscious decision on your part was it after all the the international jet setting where you're like you know what i'm traveling all the time anyway maybe let's just try something else yeah you know it was it was actually i mean the my wife and i just said you know let's bounce around the planet like literally that was as much talk as we had let's bounce around the planet we headed up to toronto and and as i said you know we we ended up bouncing back partially personal reasons which was my wife had a great job back in Chicago. I had a great job and reunited with really terrific partner from uh, McConaughey. And my wife was pregnant with our with their only child. So those were th- that was basically what brought us back. And when we got back to Chicago, we said, well, let's stay here for one more job. And ultimately, that only turned into two more jobs. But yeah, we always kind of knew there. You know, there's there's the world. There's a world beyond Toronto. Uh, I don't know if uh, apologies to the Torontonians who are listening to this, but yeah. And so uh, yeah, so we always wanted to bounce around somewhere and didn't really have Asia on our minds. It was just when BBDO said, "Hey, let's you know, we'd love to have you stay within the network." Uh, that was the one that made the most sense. Let's talk a little bit about some mistakes that you've made, especially early on. Are there any that that come to mind in the first part of your career, but maybe before you started this career as international advertising uh, professional? Any specific things that that happened to you that you'd like to share? Yeah, for sure. I, I, um, you know, it, it's funny when you said, you know, hey, we're going to talk about fuck up. So I was, oh God, I hope it's a really long episode. <laughs> But but there were there were three that came to mind. Uh, one was that the first job I I accepted was not the Jeep one. It was it was a job at this place called Creative House Advertising, 
And I, I literally like scoured all Detroit agencies and was just about to turn my attention towards Chicago when the the very last place that had never, I think I called them like 30 days in a row, something like that. And the guy finally called back and he said, hey, you know, no one has bugged me this much. He goes, you're in luck. We just had a writer quit. Come on to the office uh, tomorrow. And so I went in the next day and he uh, he said, uh, he said, you know, okay, we'd love to love to have you join Creative House Advertising. And I said, oh, it's amazing as I got a job. And, you know, that was wonderful. And I said, I need to go back to California, get my car, give me like a week or two. Um, I said, can I get some uh, work samples just to start to get familiar with the clients and the campaigns and stuff like that? And he says, that's a great idea. And I was like, it was like a huge alarm to me. As I'm like, that's not a great idea. That's an obvious idea. And as I'm looking through the, the work, which I wasn't overly, you know, there wasn't a big internet thing back then. And so I'm looking through the work and I'm like, I suck. But I, I think these guys are, are maybe, you know, it just it wasn't going to be an environment where I was going to learn. Yep. And so I fly back to California while I'm there and I'm just sweating going, God, how can I take this job and whatever? I get a call from the Jeep agency who, and they say, hey, our creative director happens to be out in San Francisco. Go interview with them just to ice this thing. And I'm like, great. So I went and I met with the guy and we, we hit it off wonderfully. And uh, I took the job on the spot. And the next day, I was supposed to be back in Detroit working for Creative House uh, Advertising. And I just, I put off letting them know, put it off, put it off. And like literally woke up the, the morning that I was supposed to be there at like 9 a.m. San Francisco time, which is like 12 o'clock Creative House time. And the guy, the owner of the agency just ripped me a new one. He's like, you will not survive long in this business if you treat people like this. That was incredibly disrespectful. I just let me have it. And I, man, I deserved every bit of it. It was just, it was so, yeah, I just, I, I was in a position I just had never been in and didn't, I knew that that wasn't the right way to act, but I never really kind of uh, faced it until I absolutely had to. And so, yeah, yeah, it, 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 I should have just quietly accepted his, his yelling and, and what have you. Um, but he ended the call. He goes, so you probably just want to stick close to mommy and daddy. And I, and I, like, should have just said, yep, yeah, right. I'm just going to stay here in San Francisco. And I'm like, I tell them the truth. I'm like, actually, I'm going to be like right down the road from you working on Jeep. I shouldn't have said that. So, yeah, but uh, that, yeah, I think that was a, a pretty big fuck up to even like, even before you kind of get started. The story is not dissimilar from some of the stuff I've experienced. I remember when I was, I had offers from a couple of, it was more like a direct shop or something. I was like, well, I just mm -hmm. I want a job. I'm hungry. The work's okay but I had to trust my gut to not do that. And that's another thing I was telling these students last week. It's like, never, never underestimate your gut's ability to, because it's like when you want a job, especially if you've been working as hard as you do as a young creative to try to get your book in front of somebody, you're just like, oh, fine, I'll, I'll just, I'll take it. You know? So I do think it was, obviously you listened to that, then your voice and it all made sense. But then after that, the fact that it was like, now it just becomes that's your first like lesson in diplomacy. Right. And I, totally. I, I think a lot of younger people do the same thing where it's like, especially if, if you spend any time in the Pacific Northwest, we're very non-confrontational people. And I think that it's hard to have that hard conversation. And for me, and I know a lot of other younger people, instead they put it off and, and, and avoid it. And I, I mean, that's really the impetus of, of why I started talking to people about these mistakes, because it was like, you spend so much and you probably had like, 
sleepless nights and heartburn and things like that are like, Oh, I got to have this hard totally. conversation. I'm just going to, I'm just going to not do it. And then you finally yeah. comes to a head and it, and it's worse than it otherwise would have been. So anyway, I think that's, that's a great, it's a great one. I love it that it happened before you started your career. It's a, it's a, <laughs> get it For better. sure. I knew what, well, and it's funny you mentioned the, you know, trusting your gut because the other one that came to mind, and this is always sort of the first one that comes to mind as, as in the most haunting for me, which was I was at DDB in Chicago and I got involved in this big one of the chips, Lay's or Fritos or whatever. And I wrote some some creative director had this idea that Robin Williams would do a, a campaign for, you know, Frito Lay, which he'd never done any commercials for, and there was no proof he would do do this. But they're, they're like, you know, the the creative director's like, Yeah, you seem kind of funny. Why don't you try and do these scripts? And so I did these scripts of Robin Williams improving, and I like I'd seen him a ton of times live in San Francisco. Might have been part of the decision making process there, and so I wrote uh, these scripts, which were not not particularly funny, but you could at least kind of go, yeah, I'm sure Robin Williams would do something funnier, and you could at least get a an overall flavor. And it was just it was it was a bit horrifying because I really had to like jump up and act, and that's I'm not as as keen to do that. And it was to Roger Enrico, who is the CEO of Frito Lay, and Keith Reinhardt's there, who was the chairman of DDB, and Susan Gillette, who was the president of DDB Chicago, and Bob Scarpelli. And like it was just it was a packed room in terms of uh, talent, and I'm sitting there doing Robin Williams imitations, and it was just horrifying. But it got more horrifying because uh, Roger, you know, smiled and nodded and said, "Yeah, maybe there's something interesting there." The agency finds out that, oh wow, Robin Williams won't do commercials, and uh, so they said, "Well, why don't you write some for Martin Short?" And I'm like, "All right, well, I don't, I don't think Martin Short's very funny," <laughs> um, and and so I'm like trying to write it, and you know, it just it wasn't getting there. And they go, "You know what? Just use the Robin Williams ones, and it'll be Martin Short." And I was like, "Ah." I don't, and, the, and so we fly back to Dallas, and it's that same power-packed room. And Josh Rode is there as well. He was the group creative director. Like, it was a bunch yeah. of people who I really wanted to impress, and I have to do. I, I was so horrified to even like pretend that these Robin Williams scripts, which were mediocre, was now even more mediocre. Uh, Martin Short, and I was so I was so nervous that that Susan Gillette, in the middle of my presentation, I'm I'm shaking, and she holds my hand which I think if you're in a creative presentation and the president of the agency has to hold your hand, like, I think that's a bad sign. Incredible. But you know what? And it comes down to what you said, which is like, trust your gut. Like all the DDB folks would have been cool. I truly believe would have been cool if I just trusted my gut and said, no, like these aren't Martin, Martin short scripts and it, and they're not funny. Like, and you know, gosh, can I go work on a drain cleaner or whatever, you know, else I could do. So yeah, I didn't trust my gut. I kind of got swept up in the trying to impress a bunch of folks and and uh, and had done, you know and do work that I didn't believe in. And yeah, that's why it's the most horrifying uh, in my in my head. And you kind of knew the whole way that it was not gonna. You were trying to be a good soldier and and make the best of it, but you knew, which I think as a creative totally. selling your work, and if you're selling your work in in the company of the people that you described you're in trouble because uh, even if you are a great, uh, great presence in how you present it, it's, you don't believe in it. It's really hard. Yeah. Like if yeah. Uh, why the hell would anybody else buy it? You know? Uh, 
I, I think that's the only thing that would have made it worse is if they would have bought it. Right. <laughs> then it would be like, oh God. Yeah. But yeah. I'll have to ask yeah. Joe about, uh, he was my boss at Ogilvy for years. I still yeah. touch. I'll have to ask him if he remembers um, some bad Robin Williams impressions. He'll probably have something funny to say about it. Horrid. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. Yeah. I've never, I've never heard of a president of the agency holding a creative's hand. Yeah. That was. Yeah. Whatever, it was whatever, thoughtful. Whatever. <laughs> it, it, it really was that bad. Yeah. Like even, even Roger Enrico was like, you know, go on. Yeah. What, what, what else, yeah. what else yeah. does the agency have for us today? So as the lesson here is, is shut it down early. Right. I mean, in, in no uncertain terms, if it's have that conversation early on versus <laughs> like, just don't let it fester and, and, come with solutions such as I'm going to do some different work that you will like better, but don't let it prolong to that point. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier, just trusting your gut. Yeah, I knew it wasn't great work and again, could have been vocal and, and had a different outcome, but you know, yeah, it's got, uh, got wrapped up and trying to, trying to serve the place. Well, no, I mean, well, that's, I guess a really hard thing too. There's, there's so many, I mean, there's, all creatives of different personalities, but I think that a lot of great creatives want to, they want to make people happy. They don't want to just be like, I'm going to do my art or I'm going to do my thing or whatever. They want to make it work. So I think it can be really hard, especially if there's other people that are behind an idea that you don't, you yourself don't necessarily love. And you're like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to make this work. But sometimes it's, it'll break, you know, or it'll yeah. break and it's, and no one's better for it. So I don't know. That's a, that's, yeah. that happens all the time. For sure. I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of your time at, at Oatly, if you would, because I mean, that's such a, it's such an iconic brand in today's world. I thought what was very interesting about you leaving them, but seeing some threads on LinkedIn, I feel like everyone that I knew on LinkedIn had just sort of seen this discourse of, of like, Oatly, you know, Oatly fired me and then going on to praise them deeply. And, and even commenters just saying, well, what a bunch of assholes and, and you taking the time and thought to respond <laughs> like, no, oh, no, they are not assholes. I just want to make that clear. So yeah, I just, I, I'd love to just kind of, it can be a, a meandering route, but I just love to talk about sure. your time with them as a, working under that roof and obviously to where you are today, um, not working for them anymore, but, um, yeah, yeah. I just hear a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. It, it was, uh, I mean, it, it was super delightful. I, it's such an iconic brand and, and such a distinctive voice to, to be, to be perfectly honest, like the, the, it's not dissimilar to, you know, voice a voice that I would like have talked have written, you know, for, for moons, like, like actually when I was, when I was, uh, uh, applying to, to, to the job for the first time. So we were connected through a friend of our a mutual friend in New York and, and I didn't have a portfolio at the time, didn't have a website or anything like that. And so she said, yeah, you should maybe show them your work. That would, that would be helpful in these types of scenarios. And so I put together a PDF and the, the cover slide was like five reasons why I might be right for you. Cause I have no idea. I, I actually wasn't familiar with the brand when she brought it up just because I don't drink coffee and I was in China. So, um, just wasn't on the radar. And once I did, I was like, Oh yeah, no, you guys, I think, I think I'd be perfect for you. 
And so I, I said, here's five reasons why I might be right for you. And, and one was like uh, international experience. One was client agency experience. One was passion brands um, or sort of mission mission uh, driven brands. I forget what the fourth one was. And I got to the fifth one. And I literally like just couldn't think of a fifth one. And a, a normal human being would go back to your cover page and you'd go <laughs> delete five, add four, you know, and like, yeah, cool, you're done. And instead, I sent him this PDF, which, you know, went through these four reasons and it got to the fifth reason. The fifth reason was like, oh, shit, like, I can't believe I, I promised you five reasons. I can literally only this is so horribly embarrassing in hindsight. Like, that's a very Oatly thing to do, but it was also just a really me thing to do. And so I creatively I I it was the easiest job I've ever had just because the voice came really natural. The, the freedom and trust that you felt was, was really high. And, and that sort of bar of, of the, I know what you're supposed to do in advertising. Don't do that. Like that's, that was really, that was pretty glorious. The thing that hindsight gave me is like when I was at, uh, when I was at Shanghai American school, people would say, how long are you going to stay here? And my answer was always, I'll stay as long as I'm making a difference. And and that's really important to me. Like the, any job I took in the last twenty years has been with a good, substantial, contributing role. Start something, change something, grow something, whatever it might be. And at Oatly, it was like, don't fuck it up. They did so many good things and had so many good pieces in place that you know it's it was much more of a you walk in there, they hand you a toy box, a bunch of toys, and they say go play. And so I think I think I had the opportunity to play in in a lot of good memorable ways, but I, I never I don't feel like I had nearly as much contribution to the organization overall to you know evolving the creative as I you know as I have in, in previous roles. So on one you know one hand, gosh, it was wonderful to work for this famous and iconic brand. On the other hand, I like I like giving more to an agency and making more of a difference um, uh, with people, and so. When they uh, when they axed uh, axed some of us uh, over the summer, I was not too unhappy to be perfectly honest. So, number one, it's it has to be a writer's dream account. I'm sure everyone has their own favorite. I think one of my favorites, at least, of the stuff that I've seen from yours is the the one in the pool that just the headline just says "blub blub blub" and trails off. Pretty great. Uh, but I, I was going to bring, I wasn't sure if you're going to bring it up because we talked about it when we met in, in Sweden you said the, the don't fuck it up thing. And I think that that, yeah, I mean, because if that is your goal, it's a limited time. You have a limited shelf life, right? If you want to really affect stuff because, you know, you could see the other side of it where it's like, why would you ever leave? Like you're creatively doing what millions of, of creatives would would kill to to work on but at the end of the day there's still a box of of what you can affect right and it, if it you have to have that i guess that hard conversation with yourself what are you in it for right and what's going to keep you yeah. fulfilled and and that's not the same answer for everybody and so it's it's amazing that that you came to that realization but you know i suppose it was fortuitous because of the way things worked out so then, so about, did you think about when you were sharing this news on, on LinkedIn tonally, or were you just more like, I'm going to do this the way that I, um, the way that I communicate period, like goes back to the, the four or five reason thing or how much thought did you put yeah. before you, before you posted that? Yeah. You know what? I mean, I think there's just a, 
To me, it was it, it felt like a really honest way to go. I mean, it was it was basically the, the opening line was Oatly fired me. And for the record, it's not the first time I thought those people were crazy. Like like it's like that's that's not, I'm sure some people were insulted by it, maybe. But it's no, it's pretty honest. When I was interviewing Tony Peterson, who was the CEO at the time, said, Kevin, he said, if you join this, if you join this company, the only thing I can promise you is chaos. And 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 he was totally right. Kept his word because <laughs> it was it was a pretty chaotic place. I, I actually loved the fact that he he said that to me even before taking the job because it gave gave you the right mindset totally. to go. Well, hey, when 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 the yeah when the when the you know when the floor shifts beneath you, it's like well you signed up for it. Like we told you this was coming, and and I you know like I think it really helped alleviate any sort of level of frustration that you might get with an organization changing. So, yeah, I mean, it would, like, so in terms of the LinkedIn question, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just pretty, pretty honest to say, Hey, I'm, I'm out at Oatly and, uh, a bunch of my super talented colleagues at, at Oatly are also out. So if you're looking for some really, uh, some great talent, uh, there's some, there's some folks, uh, now available. So, yeah, I didn't, I can't say I threw a bunch of angst uh, around it. I, I don't post on LinkedIn very often and I try, try to try to limit it to, you know, if I have an actual opinion of something that's worth sharing, I'll do so. But otherwise, uh, not uh, not too much of a regular contributor. Are you familiar with, uh, I was meaning to ask you the re- subreddit, LinkedIn Lunatics? Have you ever seen that at all? No. So it's, yeah. it's just a gathering of, of, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty great. So, you know, there's, there's <laughs> like, any, like any social network, there's a lot of interesting stuff on there, but the lead that you, that you started with, like anybody would read that, but I think it would, I thought yeah. it was very interesting that there's, there's so many people that you're probably connected to that you don't know. And you know, depending on how discerning you are about accepting connections, I have a lot of people that I'm like, I don't know who the hell that is, but sure. If you think I'll help you somehow great uh but yeah taking the time yeah. to actually respond to some people doubling down on um no these are not bad people uh, you know yeah. that's amazing yeah no it was you know it was a wonderful experience and what made me really uncomfortable about some of the linkedin reaction was that i was getting entirely unjustified credit for establishing the voice or, or like it, i'm sorry they, it was it was well established and and again i think i did some really fun stuff you know with the toys that they gave me but they gave me the toys and so yeah i just wanted to be super upfront about that but yeah linkedin is sort of my ellis island like i accept all <laughs> any any and all and and i actually yes there there's there's some people who can act a bit a bit weird but i think it's kind of nice that that there's i i think there's far more positivity on linkedin than on any other network and i i don't think that's a i don't think that's a terrible thing um in the I world with you. I, yeah I, and i think that especially people it's been a tough year for freelancers a lot uh, especially and i've seen a lot of this is very vulnerable again why i started talking to people in this way about mistakes that they've made is just showing that vulnerability and humanness that i think a lot of people showed more during covid because we were all in the same thing where kids would wander in and dogs would bark and all that stuff and i would agree, i would agree with you i think there is a lot of there's a lot of good stuff on there join us next time for part two of how i fucked up with kevin lynch where we talk more about oatly mentorship and fuck-ups on an international scale bye for now